Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. That's Vanessa over there. Hello. I'm Kelly, and I am so glad to be recording in person with both of you. Yay! It's <laughs> yes. so nice to see you, Vanessa. You <laughs> oh look lovely. Oh, human beings are like warm and fuzzy <laughs> and have physical form. God, I miss that. I will say that there is uh, pros and cons to the remote recording. Uh, The pro is I don't have to clean up the house before you guys show up here. Big plus, big plus. Uh, The pro is that um, the people who do want to see our hideous faces are able to see our hideous faces. They love it. (laughs) And uh, and that's about it because I f- I feel like we're missing a lot of the uh, chemistry and interaction we all yeah. have when we can look each other in the eye and, and stuff like that and and make a joke without worrying about somebody stepping over the line. Wait a second, that doesn't happen, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I we got a lot of really nice messages from people saying I think yeah. the remote stuff is great. But me personally, I love seeing you guys. I like getting a hug from everybody yeah. and all that stuff. It's, so. Yeah. If if and when we can always, you know, be in person, we'll do it. If for other reasons, like childbirth gets in the way, <laughs> then we may have to occasionally do remote. But at least we have really, really good mics when we're remote. So. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's it true. sounds yes. incredible. Vanessa, I have a question, and okay. this might be too soon for this question. Sure. Uh, but I don't, but you <laughs> seem like you've got uh, your life figured out and everything. What? Uh, <laughs> that is grossly is, inaccurate. Is this the first of many kids? Oh or? my God, that is the one question that I just don't want to be asked. Here, look, this is the thing. I have always thought it'd be really cool to have more than one kid because I grew up as one of four. Sure. And there's something really nice about having other people to bounce things off mm. of, and yeah. it's less of a lonely experience. But I just had a baby, <laughs> and that was not easy. <laughs> and now I've got a newborn, and guess what? That's not fucking easy. <laughs> so I, this is not the time to ask me. Okay. If, if I had to answer, if somebody held a gun to me right now and asked, I'd say no. I'm, I'm good with one because I'm really tired. Right. <laughs> and my body is still healing and it's been five weeks, but, um, but in theory, I would love to have at least one more. Okay. So we'll see. See if you can get the set. Yeah. One of each. Oh my God. That's my brother lucked out. He got one of each. So <laughs> maybe it's in the cards. What about you, Eric? When are you guys having kids? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we're well past that. What about you, Kelly? There. When are you having kids? I'm sure there are plenty out there. You know, go find one. Is that what you mean? I was going to say, we'll just bring you some at some point. Here you go. (laughs) I remember being at my niece's wedding and, um, and I was with my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, this, this young, pretty girl comes walking up to me and she's, you know, maybe 20 years younger than me. And she says, Hey, my mom says, hi. And I just sat there, you know, with (laughs) flop sweat on my brow and my girlfriend kind of raising her eyebrow. And she goes, you know, Jennifer. And I was like, oh, Jennifer, I'm hitting my girlfriend. You know, Jennifer, (laughs) friend of the family, Jennifer. (laughs) Daggers, please be put away. 
Yeah. Oh so, God. Yeah, that is my fear is that there there's kids out there, but uh, that's yeah. the that's yeah. the difference between men and women, huh? You, you might just have a kid out there you're not aware of. I yep. can't imagine. It is definitely always a thought. That's weird. Yeah, that's, yeah, wow, weird. the life you live. It's it, my real problem is if we're getting honest is that um, I've had a lot of one night stands that oh. turned into six or seven year relationships. Oh no. <laughs> oh, and, Kelly, uh, you're doing it wrong. I, I know. Uh, so I don't really have very many one night stands that I didn't see the person again and wouldn't know if there was a child involved. There, there you go. Or you can just look on Facebook every once in a while and be like, are there small people in your profile picture? Yes or no. Would they be roughly the right time? Okay, cool. Cross that one off the list. I've been married 25 years. So anything would be any, kid that would approach me for that would have to be plus i dated you know for what like seven years before oh, right. we got married. Oh, sure, yeah. so if anybody that might be out there is well into their 30s probably <laughs> so, 50s yep oh yeah it's possible oh man somebody from high school sure yeah that's <laughs> oh, that's the strongest possibility yeah but uh no i'm that's good thanks wild <laughs> you guys i don't know you come from such a different universe of like th thinking you don't think that you've got some kids out there you might not know about it's just like it's one of those things that never has even occurred to me to be something to be worried about from a male perspective <laughs> sure. like oh you guys care about that weird <laughs> it was a different time vanessa i guess did you guys see that um, Bob Iger came out talking about Marvel Studios slowing way down mm -hmm. yeah. and that uh, Disney has come out and said they're going to focus on sequels now? Oh, No mention okay. of like new original stuff. They were just like, yeah, we're going to slow way down and focus on sequels. Sequels to what? They're already like anything they would be doing a sequel of. They're like five movies. Yeah. Well, that's what I think they're talking about. They're like, look, we've got plenty of. Plenty of IP, and we're just going to continue using that. I guess why? They're, yeah, they're making a sequel to Inside Out, oh which is one of my favorite Pixar films. And, and Moana like, Two is supposed to no, be why? Bob Iger's like big thing. He's counting on that fixing Disney's problems. Yeah, because Jesus. if you think back to the Disney catalog, your favorite movies are all like Cinderella Two and Lion <laughs> King Two. Oh my God, Little Mermaid Two. two. One of I mean, the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Little Mermaid. <laughs> you take Pixar out of the equation, yeah. and Disney, at least their animation sequels, are not good. Very, Very rarely. Historically have been yeah. god-awful. Yeah. Straight, I mean, to, straight to the bargain bin. My first thought was, oh, but Cars, no, Cars is Pixar. Toy Story has great sequels. Mm -hmm. uh, Little Nemo, I didn't see it, but I hear that was a good sequel. Oh, Finding Nemo. Oh. Finding Nemo, I mean. Finding the sequel. Dory or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I never saw the sequel. Yeah. Yeah, but those are all Pixar, so you pull those all out and 102 Dalmatian. I mean, it's just... Yeah. They're not. <laughs> no, was, you're right. Is there really something called 102 Dalmatians? So, yeah. There I probably is. Yeah. And my niece, one of my niece's favorites, reason it's Cinderella 2, was Cinderella 2, dreams come too. Play it again, play it again. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Do you guys remember that Saturday Night Live episode where they're um, they're pitching sequels for the movie Alien, and then Jim Cameron just, like, kicks open the door, and he walks in, and he writes an S behind the Alien on the whiteboard, and then he just puts money lines to it, and they all start oh, cheering God. him. I have not seen that, but that is incredible. That is awesome. Holy shit. That sounds about right. Yeah. Well, so I also think, you know, um, 
when they say Disney is focusing on sequels, I imagine they're they're saying uh, Star Wars, yeah, is Star Wars, be. Marvel stuff like that. Right. So the Marvel stuff, even though they're slowing it down, I really think the way for Marvel to go is they can they can continue the output, but we don't need to get a Hawkeye series. Right. When we've got something as strong as Daredevil and somebody like Hawkeye right. could show up for a season. Yeah. Right. You know, there's stuff like that that is like, you've got some really strong IP here. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just focus on films and cut the budgets down and the CGI down? Sure. Yeah. Like, just be like, hey, let's just make one without like 90% of the CGI and <laughs> it'll, you guys will make something fucking cool. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to get Vin Diesel to say one word in no. your show and pay him $13 million for that. That's, uh, that's what ridiculous. What is the budget for what if, you know? Like all those fucking actors yeah. come in for like <laughs> yeah. two seconds. So I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, yeah. they're clearly scrambling now. And there's been no real understanding that, hey, we might have flooded the market with this and looking back historically, everything is a cycle and we didn't seem to think this would be a cycle, right? but it is yeah. clearly just a cycle. Yeah. So, eh. <sighs> Nothing as popular as Marvel hit is ever going to be popular forever. It's just too big. Yeah. Just, you yeah. just can't depend on, and especially they since work. they closed off that was, I don't know, like act two or whatever the fuck with, um, the oh infinity infinity films, yeah. films. Yeah. once you've done that yeah. there is no more like they closed up all their open storylines and now you can't assume anything is going to be that popular again until you build it all the way back up for another 12 15 years right <laughs> yeah it's just it's too it's too big yeah that's what we've been complaining about this whole time yeah um, I got a chance to see some stuff and I got a chance to see a lot of stuff. Oh, cool. I'm not sure what I want to talk about because some <laughs> of it was good. Some of it was not very good. Oh. I'm going to talk about a little documentary I saw called Welcome to the Darkness. Okay. This is about the band, The Darkness. Oh, oh. cool. The I British... was not a fan of The Darkness when oh. it came out. I always thought that Justin Hawkins had a very bad voice and everyone comparing him to Freddie Mercury was just infuriating me. I'm oh, like, gosh. there's a difference between falsetto and having a range that you can actually hit those high notes and all this stuff. <laughs> oh man, America did what they do and took it too seriously again. Because I was <laughs> yeah. in the UK at the time and it was like a goofy, hilarious band. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? And I thought when I first saw that video of him holding the sausage and, yeah. <laughs> and stuff yeah. like that, I thought, okay, these guys are having a laugh on us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but everybody over here thought they were the next queen. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> so the, I just didn't like them. This documentary is about them after they've broken up, they've gotten back together, uh-huh. and they're trying to kind of recapture a little bit of that fame. And it is heartbreaking in a couple of places and uh-huh. really touching and very funny. And I was like, I might have to fucking give these guys a chance now because right. they yeah. showed their human side and I ended up really liking Justin Hawkins because wow. I do think he is a very talented guy with a great sense of humor. And man, he has got some demons. Oh. He is just consumed by anxiety and all of this stuff. Wow. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the darkness. It's a documentary. I think I saw it on Tubi. I remember. Oh, interesting. Because my reaction to him, I actually really liked it initially. Mm-hmm. But I remember years and years ago, a friend of ours sat down and said, You've got to watch this video. And it was that first 
super hit of theirs. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there going, I kind of like this. And I could tell you, like, <laughs> I don't like this at all. Well, I love <laughs> the guitars. Funny. I just... But I love the music. This. I just don't like his voice. Yeah, yeah you, don't, you don't want to listen to a full album in one go. It's right. like no, it's nice when is... one song comes on the radio randomly, and it's like, ah, oh, yeah, this is so goofy. This is so fun. Okay, now we're done because well, they're all in that same register. Point, one yeah. of the scenes <laughs> in this documentary is they've got a new album coming out, and um, they've got their first single which has the word shit in the title. And they Beautiful. were like, do we think this is going to make it to BBC One? You know, <laughs> probably not. And to promote it, then they just set up on one of the ferries there and did two live performances uh, going one way. They did it and then going the other way, like three songs. And, uh, so good. and you just see these people in the ferry. Some of them are reading and kind of annoyed with it. And others yeah. are, you know, doing a meet and greet afterwards and getting photos with the band. And, and I was like, uh, I think I think I get these guys now. That's yeah, cool. I mean, so have you both seen the movie Love Actually? Oh yeah. Okay, so you know how like the the idea is that his shitty Christmas song becomes number one. Right. right. That's exactly what happened with the darkness that year. Their shitty, weird Christmas song. Everyone was like, we're going to make this number one. We want it to beat out every <laughs> real song that's in contention. And that was like kind of, yeah, it's it's not that they're a joke band, but like there is this lighthearted spirit oh, yeah. behind them. So I don't, that sounds awesome. I definitely want to yeah. check that documentary out. Yeah, yeah. I'll be watching that. I have to actually figure out Tubi. <laughs> It's, it's Do I have to? <laughs> so I saw it. I don't even know that I can like justify talking about this. Okay. But um, so I'm now that I have a child, um, I'm allowed to have one night out a week for date night because my mom comes over, uh -huh. and that's oh, really nice. Excellent. And so of course, spending it seeing movies. Uh oh. Yeah. So I went and saw uh, Poor Things. But beforehand, I went and ate at a diner, and let's just say during Poor Things, I saw maybe 20% of the film. Oh, no. It was the worst, but that 20% was so good. <laughs> I was like, this movie is incredible. I was really nervous because uh, I've seen The Lobster, and I've seen yeah. The Favorite, and I, I mean, those are dark, difficult, rough fucking films, and this was like just so good it's it's got a some real frankenhooker vibes to it it's i don't know there's there's it's beautiful it's feminist it's funny it's got some dark edges but i mean everybody's great in it william defoe's great in it mark ruffalo's insanely fun in it so i i don't know it was it was really good from what i saw i'm interested in seeing it but i'm hesitant with that filmmaker mm -hmm. because i hate the way he directs actors to speak Sure. Um, but at the same time, he's getting these oddly interesting performances. Yeah. And everything else he does as a director is amazing. Yeah. But it's just like, it's so, his deliver the delivery is so weird. Yeah. Um, it, at least this one's based off of a book. So there's yeah. like this kind of forced um, structure to it. <laughs> but in the other thing I will say that's good about audio is most of the person who's going to be speaking is um, Emma Stone and William Defoe. And Emma Stone is not going to be speaking like a normal human being on any level. Right. So it doesn't matter what her delivery is. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, <laughs> I would say if you want to see it, I would really recommend seeing it in 
theater just because the scope and the scale and the beauty of these locations is so immense. It might be worth checking it out on the big screen. Wow. So uh, when Steve Hullett sat in for you, he also suggested that we see that. He fell in yeah. love with that movie as well. Yeah. You remember that? So, hey. I, and I think it's got an Oscar nomination. Yeah, yes, I think it's got a few. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, it looks like it could do really well at the Oscars. Not that that means a fucking thing. No. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. No, I mean, the, the, the people getting upset about Oscars is weird because it's the Oscars and the Grammys have a very strong thing in common. Once you're in their group. Yeah. You're going to get nominated time and time again. Yeah. And some upstart comes along and does something great. They might get in the group and then make, but they probably won't. Yeah. So, you know, uh, what's your name? Uh, I blanked on her name from uh, Barbie. No, the the woman who gets nominated no matter what she does. Oh, Meryl Streep. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she always gets nominated. She could be in the pure shit film uh-huh. for five minutes and she'll get nominated. Yep. So, you know. I mean, I feel the same way with Martin Scorsese. I'm like, yes. I don't need to see your fucking mug on TV one more time. Yeah. Dude, you have enough awards. You don't need any more. We can stop celebrating him. We, it's fine. He knows. He knows he's great. Speaking of somebody who can deserve a little bit more uh, celebrating, I watched, uh, it was on Shudder, the Dario Gento documentary, uh, Panico. Oh, yeah. I saw that that exists. How it's is it? It's quite good. Ooh. The idea is apparently whenever he writes a movie, mm-hmm. he gets a hotel and goes to that hotel and writes it. I heard that. Yeah. And this one is kind of funny because it starts up and they're pulling up. He's going, this is too nice of a hotel. I don't want it to be at a hotel this nice. Oh, wow. This is too much. And so he's there's definitely a touch of the great cranky old guy stuff in him. But it it talks briefly about almost all his films and the weird, uncomfortable dynamic with him and his daughter when she first started working and doing highly sexualized scenes. And then the... Um, and the, he, he directed her in those scenes, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I'd originally been, I'd read Asia? stuff that made it sound like, yeah, mm-hmm. that somebody else, like a second unit came in and sort of directed okay. it. Watching this, I don't think that's true. Uh-huh. That, that is odd. Like, he, it, it, he described oh. it as, yeah, I turned my back. So? And directed. No. <laughs> no. It doesn't Unzipped count. my pants <laughs> and oh. went to it. You. Uh, you. Oh. But it is... I would definitely check it out if you're at all interested in Dario. It is really interesting. So I've never had the luxury of just writing full time. So I don't right. know what a script would take me. But even when I was writing really fast, uh, maybe six weeks to do a script. Is he in a hotel for six weeks? I they didn't they didn't get into that enough. I was kind of curious about that, but I don't remember them mentioning it. Okay, I could have missed it because it is an Italian produced. So it's you know. Those documentaries where uh, you know, people complain about reading in a movie, and that's really not that much reading. Right. In a documentary, when you're sitting there <laughs> talking like to novel. a talking head. Uh, good point. Yeah, I didn't you're think like, about that. Maybe you have to go through the transcripts <laughs> and just see six see weeks, eight weeks. What, but, look up the word weeks. But yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. So definitely check that out. And it's called nice. again? Uh, Panico. And it's on Shudder. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. Uh, okay, I'm going to talk about a movie I didn't love. I saw ISS. Oh, no, that ISS. looks so fun. Does I guess it? I haven't yes, heard of it's space. Yes, I haven't heard of this one. It's or space not. and kind of disaster. So it oh. takes place on the International <laughs> Space Station, 
And, uh, you know, it's a Russian-American joint team. Oh, and okay. then they look down and they start seeing nukes going yes. off all over. And then they get they each get messages from their prospective or respective countries saying, um, you need to take the International Space Station by any means necessary. That's too bad. I have this. I remember now seeing the trailer. Yeah. And it looked really good. It looked fun. That's well, I had a question when I saw it and I was like, what? military use could the ISS have, right? Yeah. So why would they have to take it? And and we've always known that the Russians, no matter what's going on, like right now we are in a proxy war with Russia anyway. Yeah. And up on the space station, they don't care. They train together. They're exactly. all friends. And, yeah. and outer space has no Countries, borders. Yeah. But this, they they never say why they need the International Space no. Station. And oh, no. also you're looking down on Earth and there are a lot of explosions happening. Yeah. And I think any normal person, especially a, a logic-minded scientist, would look down and go, listen, you guys, <laughs> that's not going to be around for much longer. We have bigger worries, like mm -hmm. where will the rest of our food come from, yeah. all that stuff. we got to grow some the, shit. The only thing we should be doing right now is getting along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, so I just couldn't get my head around that stupid part of the story the whole time. Mm -hmm. If there had been something like, guess what you guys didn't know? We've got nukes on board. Or right. Like <laughs> but uh, right. there's none of that. Uh, you know, it does turn into a, a small thing where people are against each other and, um, you know, horrific ways to die in outer space. But uh, I was just... I don't know. I was bummed and angry through the whole thing. I, uh -huh. I just kept going, why? Why are you doing that? Yeah. Why are you saying yes to this? Why are you doing this? That is weird. Yeah, I I just assumed, I don't know. I, I, I was kind of watching the trailer going, well, they shouldn't be against each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do remember having that moment, but that's too bad. Yeah, so that was ISS. It is a rental. Uh, your mileage may vary. Yeah, never know. Well, we're, we are coming up, of course, on Oscar season, which means I'm trying to catch up on all the hoity-toity films I have not yet seen. <laughs> and one of those hoity-toity films was uh, Past Lives, which um, got a lot of praise earlier in the year. And so, and it was, I saw it was free on, I think, Paramount and uh, checked it out. It is a, it is a pretty good film for obviously a low budget and a first time filmmaker who specialized in plays. It has a very play sensibility. There's a lot of people talking to people and there's a lot of pauses and conversations and the person just says, you know, what about that? You know, like the, <laughs> there's just like that kind of deliberate pacing of conversation that you get in plays. Sure. Um, so that's, fine. I don't think that that's particularly special. There's a couple of really interesting cinematic, like the, the camera's shifting in some cool ways. And I was like, oh, that's a neat camera move. But there's only like three or four of those in the film. <laughs> and so I was like, well, that's not. And then like you get the, the last kind of conversation of the whole film. And I'm like, oh, this is why it's like just people are in love with it. There's this concept and uh, Korean lore about um, relationships and, and how the soul connects to other souls. And the entire film's strength rests upon this concept that exists. And it, like, it sucks because I get why people are now associating that the film's awesome because the concept is awesome, but I don't think it actually makes the film awesome. I think the concept is awesome and I'm glad they used it, 
but that doesn't mean the whole thing was super <laughs> worthy. Like, it's a good effort. Like, they did a really good job, but it's not, like, incredible, life-changing mm. stuff. It's like, I don't know. Is it just a relationship drama? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a woman who, um, she grew up in uh, Korea and then moved in, like, middle school away. And uh, she had a, a best friend slash eventually a boyfriend right before she moved and had she stayed there they would have probably gotten married and spent their lives together uh she then moved to canada and then new york and ends up with this guy in new york and there's this sort of like what if they had managed to make their relationship work and the mm. korean guy shows up in new york to like hang out with her for a couple of days mm. and there's this sort of love that was there but is it still there and is she going to leave her husband for this guy and he, like there's just a lot of like question marks as they're having these conversations hmm. but, hmm. yeah. okay. sounds like a barn burner <laughs> <laughs> i on the other hand watched one that definitely was a barn burner oh yeah a classic a criterion release of a roger ebert script a Russ Meyer film. Oh, boy. <laughs> Beyond the yeah, Valley of the Dolls. Oh, my. I have not seen this. I tell you, Roger Ebert should have read some more scripts. <laughs> <laughs> not because this is a uh, towering movie of power. <laughs> Stupid entertaining. It's such a... F it's not a good movie. Uh-huh. But I, this is probably Russ Meyer's best film. I've only seen... A couple other films by him. Uh, like, you know, Faster Pussycat, Kill, Kill, of course. Sure. And, but uh, Payoff at the End. <laughs> have either of you seen this? No. Uh, yeah, I have. Okay. The Payoff at the End is so over the top. The sun violence level is like, whoa. And just the whole concept of the film is all over the top ridiculous. Mm. And... That's, you know, kind of Russ Meyer does. The performances are surprisingly good overall. Yeah. In the context of the film, <laughs> they're good. They work in some weird way. Uh, the Criterion disc is, it looks fantastic. It is so well remastered. And it's oh. got these wonderfully garish late 60s, early 70s colors all over the place. So it just looks amazing. Mm. Uh, I was I was floored. I was not expecting much. But then I realized, you know what? Usually a movie that's talked about as much as this one is, there's a reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't seen Valley of the Dolls, but I'm guessing this one's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite memory that involves this movie, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Brett Ratner or somebody like that who said, uh, I I don't know what movie it was of his that Roger Ebert had just slammed the script on. And he was like, you know, this really hurts to have this come from the guy that wrote Beyond the Valley of the Doll. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem with being a critic and an artist. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. You invite a lot of yes. uh, and, opinions and your way. It's well earned. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying this is some kind of genius thing, but you know. Yeah. I've watched all Al Adams movies. This is a step above those. I would say so. <laughs> this is a step above most Russ Meyer movies. Oh, yeah. Honestly. I was really surprised it was Russ Meyer. Yeah. Uh, even just the opening segment, which sort of hints at the end. I'm going, well, this is interesting. And then his name comes up as a director. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
but uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out if, wow. for the cheese and the uh, cornball are off the charts. I also always kind of feel the lower the budget of a film, I mean, as long as it's like $10, represents the era in a different way that's sometimes more accurate to what you get out of a high spending all the sure. money level yeah. thing to make everything look glossy and great. Yeah. Although this is an exaggerated version, probably what it went on. There's a lot of reality of the world in this film oh, that you probably wouldn't, probably don't have in Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. yeah. I guess I have to watch that now. <laughs> I, I only read the play. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know to tell you. Uh, well, okay, cool. Did you watch that on Criterion Channel, or did you actually pay for I this? Have the, I got the Criterion disc. It's one of the ones I picked up on the 50% off sale. Uh, very nice. It's like, all right, okay. what the fuck, $20 or 15 whatever it was for that. Box art alone, worth it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, all right, guys, how about we take a little break, and then when we come back, we are so, still celebrating Fangruary. Mike DeBronzo, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> For my delicious cereal called Chocula. It's chocolatey good. With a devilishly good chocolatey flavor and tasty marshmallows. Wrong air count. Kids come calling for my Frankenberry cereal. It's frightfully good with strawberry flavor and tasty marshmallows. What a treat. Called Chocula. Frankenberry. We like both. <laughs> you can enjoy this good nutritious breakfast with Frankenberry. Called Chocula. And we're back. All right, guys. It's uh, Fangruary, which is vampires. I don't know about you. Getting a little tired of watching all this vampire stuff. <laughs> you know, I missed out on two weeks worth of vampires, and I'm getting a little tired of this vampire <laughs> stuff. So, well, we're still doing it. But However, uh, I think I'll start us off because I, I found a movie that I really liked that I never even heard of before. Oh, fantastic. And that movie is, I'm putting 10 minutes on the buzzer for myself. That movie is Daughters of Darkness. Silly tales about those chased away by garlic and vampires shrinking from crosses. He kidnapped young girls and kept them chained give blood. Blood for her to bathe in and drink. And she bit them everywhere. No. And then she pushed white hot pokers into their faces. And when they parted their lips to scream, she shoved the flaming rod up into their mouth. Stop it. Blood. Beautiful red. Stop it. I killed no one. Again. It's difficult to forget. Oh, you will. After a while, it'll only be the remembrance of a bad dream. And then the remains of a remembrance. More and more faint in your mind. I have seen many a night fall away into an even more endless night. Nights like last night. Who do you think I am? A kind of ghoul? A vampire? Oh, no, my dear. <laughs> If you think these 
or something. Wait until you meet Mother. She's something else. Those. From 1971, a budget of about $750,000, but I could find no box office. The Rotten Tomatoes critics have it at 83%, and the audience has it at 60%. It was directed by Harry Kumel, who has 33 credits, uh, mostly Belgium and French stuff, uh, including The Legend of Doomhouse, Paradise Lost, and Softly from Paris. It was written by Kumel, but also uh, Pierre Drutel. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Uh, and Jean Ferry, who wrote uh, together Mascara, The Demise of Father Moray, and Hello, Police. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Delphine Seyrig, who has 60 credits, including Day of the Jackal, The Black Windmill, and Dorian Gray in the Mirror of the Yellow Press. Oh, Jesus. It also stars John Carlin, who has 121 credits, mostly television, but also Surf Ninjas, Trilogy of Terror, and 179 episodes of Dark Shadows as Desmond Collins. Fun. And then it also stars Danielle Wimit, who has 23 credits, including Vital Signs, Dominique, and The Apple, The Stem, and The Seeds. So you guys have heard of this movie, but right. you've not seen it or... You know what? I think I have seen it. Okay. Yeah. I, think so. I had not seen this one, and I'll just spoiler alert. Uh, I loved it. I nice. thought this was great. Oh. So it starts off, we meet our protagonists, Stefan and Valerie, who are newly married and traveling through Europe. Their relationship already feels a little weird, though. He looks quite a bit older than her, and she's definitely a little naive. And she notes that he really needs to call his mother, who they are planning <laughs> to visit, but who doesn't know that they've even gotten married yet. He is dragging his feet for some reason. Uh, they check into a grand hotel on the seafront in Belgium, and because it's winter, the hotel is pretty much empty, and they take the royal suite. But when night falls, a mysterious Hungarian countess, Elizabeth Bathory, arrives with her secretary, Elona, yeah. <laughs> and Elizabeth requests the royal suite. But the hotel's middle-aged concierge, Pierre, tells her it is occupied by the honeymooning couple. He also mentions uh, having seen the Countess at the same hotel when he was a 10-year-old boy and realized she is not aged. Uh, she laughs this off and says it must have been her mother. Now, um, <laughs> you might be thinking to yourself, why would this 10-year-old boy remember this particular person so well? And I will just say, this woman is so fucking gorgeous yeah. that I was like, who the hell is this chick? She is something else. Uh, so Bathory takes the adjoining suite instead, and her and her secretary quickly fixate on the married couple. Uh, in their suite, Valerie reads a newspaper article about a series of murders in Bruges, each victim a girl whose throat was slashed. And uh, while walking through the city the following day, they stumble upon the crime scene of another murdered girl. Valerie is, uh, you know, understandably disturbed. Uh, Especially because Stefan seems absolutely fascinated with the crime and can't stop looking at the oh. dead girl. <laughs> and when they return to the hotel, um, Bathory and her secretary, Elona, introduce themselves to Stefan and Valerie. And during their conversation, a police officer appears at the hotel. 
He also seems to remember Bathory, (laughs) who uh, then recounts the various bloody acts that the original Elizabeth Bathory committed, particularly the bathing in the blood of young virgins. Uh, Uh, Valerie, Stefan's new wife, she is bothered by the conversation, but Stefan is strangely into it. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, We get a very strange scene when Stefan finally agrees to call his mother. Okay, so... It turns out to be a middle-aged, very effeminate man, and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if he is supposed to be a woman and they cast a man in the role. I'm not sure if he is supposed to be a man that is pretending to be Stefan's mother. He's got very heavy makeup on and is keeping the regular register of his voice, although it's got a, a little feminine twist to it. But And he even says, you know, mother is angry. And... Oh, my God. What's going on here? Um, If you hope to find out what's going on here, you will be disappointed. (laughs) Never referred to again in the movie. Make up your own answer. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, let's see. The next day, uh, Stefan and Valerie get in a minor argument, and he beats her with a belt and then has sex with her. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Any healthy uh, relationship. And then the next day, Ilona seduces Stefan. And Valerie, who uh, is angry at, first of all, the beating, but also the seducing, she sneaks away and uh, tries to escape him. Uh, But when she gets to the train station, Bathory is there and stops her from leaving, even though she definitely wants Valerie away from Stefan, because Bathory wants Valerie. Uh Meanwhile, Stefan, after his uh, indiscretions with Alona, he uh, teases her in the bathroom and attempts to drag her into the shower with him. Um, they're both naked. For some reason, she is very, very bothered by the water. They never mention why, but I wonder if it's some kind of nod towards the old legend that vampires can't cross running water or something. You only assume. Yeah, it's just a weird thing when the water actually starts touching her. She's freaking out like it's holy water or something, but it's never really explained. Vampires cannot stand warm water. Right. <laughs> uh, either way, the two get into a, a tussle and Alona slips and falls on a large straight razor, ah! which kills her. Ah. And, of course, Valerie and Bathory return right after, stumbling upon the scene. Uh, It doesn't go the way you'd think it would, though. Bathory immediately takes charge, ordering Valerie to clean up the blood while Stefan sits in shock. And then the three drive into the country to dispose of Alona's corpse. Uh, After burying Alona's body on the beach, they return to the hotel at dawn. And Valerie, who is now completely under Bathory's spell now, refuses to leave with Stefan, who wants to get out of here. He's like, we're leaving. And she's like, I'm not going with you. Uh, things get violent and end with Stefan's wrist getting slashed by a broken bowl, an accidental slashing of the broken bowl, and uh, he bleeds to death with Elizabeth and Valerie drinking his blood from each wrist. Uh, they throw his dead body over a guardrail and onto the street below and then drive around and shove it in Bathory's car to dispose <laughs> of it outside of town. There's more space to go. Yep. <laughs> then the women flee in Bathory's car. Uh, uh, and Bathory manages to uh, sideswipe the cop as he's walking down the street, too. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then uh, she needs Valerie to drive because uh, the sun is starting to come up and uh, Bathory needs to get into France before daylight comes. Uh, will the women make it to Bathory's residence before the sun rises? Or will both women be blinded by the sun as it rises, causing Valerie to crash and sending Bathory's body through the window to be impaled on a huge tree branch before her body explodes in a ball of flame? (laughs) 
<laughs> and if so, who is this new woman who approaches a young couple playing tennis at the end of the movie? Because she looks like Valerie, but she has the voice of Cantus Bathory. Uh, yeah, no, no surprise. I fucking love this movie. It's um, sexy and weird and <laughs> all the stuff that I love and this kind of stuff. Uh, I had never heard of it before this. And it is now probably one of my favorite vampire flicks. Nice. nice. Little bit of trivia. You're going to love this, Vanessa. During filming, director Harry Kumel hit actress Danielle Wiemet during a dispute. Oh Actor John Carlin was oh, so right. infuriated by this that he punched Kumel in the face. <laughs> I love this. The atmosphere on set was understandably tense afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, Harry Kumel's original choice for the role of Stefan was Malcolm McDowell, who turned down the part. John Carlin was cast at the behest of the film's American investors, and Kumel was disappointed with their selection because he felt that Carlin was notably older than he looked in the headshots that had been given. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I thought this was really interesting. Shot entirely in English, even though the majority of the cast was French, German, and Flemish, as opposed to most European genre films from the 70s. Here, none of the actors were post-dubbed by others. They can all be heard with their own voices and accents. Wow. And then finally, in the early 2010s, Time Out magazine conducted a poll with several authors, directors, actors, and critics who have worked within the horror genre to vote for their top horror films. Daughters of Darkness placed at number 90 on their top 100 list. Ouch. That's not so bad. There's a lot of horror movies out there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's true. They made it's the list. 90. And it, it's kind of an obscure film. You yeah. can't put that on the box, though. What are you going <laughs> to yeah, do with okay, that? I'm fine. number 90 out of 100 Ouch, of man. random critics only talking about horror on movies. On the list. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. changed you, Vanessa. <laughs> I am a darker human. I beat my time by a minute. I'm taking the buzzer off now. I, you know... I'm so glad that you had this film because I definitely saw it. I must have been at least slightly drunk while watching it <laughs> because I remember those beats, but I do not remember anyone's relationship to yeah. anyone else or getting like, I, I didn't remember it being a secretary. I was like, is this her daughter? But then there was weird, like kind of sexual scenes. And, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she's clearly just her uh, protege, sure. but she's introduced originally as her secretary. And then I think when they are introduced to Valerie and Stefan. She's introduced as the Countess's assistant. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think I missed anyone's uh, relationship to anyone else and was like, wow, now they're, now they're all hanging out doing this. Okay, that's rude. I, you know, I don't know, and I should know when Interview with the Vampire, the book came out. I'm mm -hmm. guessing late 70s. This feels very much like uh, Anne Rice had to watch this movie and loved this movie and, oh, cool. and wanted to kind of you know, get that kind of feel in there. But when yeah. I when I did the research on this film before I had watched it, it called it a uh, gothic horror. And so when it starts yeah. off with them on a train in, you know, present day, 70s, I was like, is this going to be gothic? And it's definitely gothic horror. It's right. so cool. So that was my film. Very cool. Oh, nice. That is such a strong choice. Well, let's go to mine and see if it lives let's. up to Daughters of Darkness. Ten minutes, Vanessa. All right. Uh, I went with a film that I randomly saw in the uh, Shutter lineup and went, sure. <laughs> Boys from County Hell. Some things are older than science, older than God. The earth has its own secrets. And if you get close enough, you'll hear it.
<laughs> Haven't you guys got anything better to do? Nope. No, we don't. This land belonged to Avertag. He drained people's blood and drink it like water. Like Dracula. Fuck Dracula. I'd love to know if there's actually anything under there. We'll find out soon enough. I saw something weird. Who's fucked, Sav? Fuck this, I'm out! There's a vampire on my set! This isn't Dracula. People don't get turned from a fucking bite. They get turned by the stones from Abertak's grave. Fucking move, will you? We need better weapons. Are there any ideas in there? What about sunlight? I mean, that is the number one vampire killer. Burn, you bastard. If Abertag binges all night, the whole town's gonna be dead as fuck. I moved to the wrong fucking town. You're shit! Oh, come on, like, what are we supposed to do about this? which is from 2020. Yeah. 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 Rotten Tomatoes score of 83% from critics, 62% from audience. Um, I could not find a budget or a box office on this, um, but it's one of those that's recent enough that it probably went straight to streaming, so they probably didn't have that calculated uh, strongly in. Written and directed by Chris Bow, who has 14 credits to his name, including The Captors, Bad Day for the Cut, and six episodes of Wreck. It's starring Jack Rowan, who has 17 credits, 12 episodes of Beowulf, Return to the Shieldlands, five episodes of Peaky Blinders, and several voices in the game Anthem, and a lot of TV um, short runs where he's in somewhere between six and ten episodes. So he's, it's like long enough to recognize this guy, but not long enough to have like a real paycheck. Um <laughs> Louisa Harland is in 16 Things. Uh, she uh, did 19 episodes of Dairy Girls, which I think most people would know her from. John Lynch, 88, credits to his name, including The Secret Garden, In the Name of the Father, Sliding Doors, five episodes of The Terror, 17 episodes of The Fall, and a ton of other TV. And Fra Free, 19 credits to her name, including Les Mis, uh, the recent Cinderella Rebel Moon, and six episodes of Hawkeye as Kazi. So the story of this, we start off on an old couple sitting, watching the telly in Ireland. <laughs> um, uh, with very thick accents, I did have to turn on the subtitles, which is kind of crazy for somebody who lived in England for 10 years. But I was like, I am going to be lost. And I am so glad I did because there are a lot of colloquialisms and like just phrasings that only Irish people use. Um, so uh, starting off on this old couple um, watching telly and suddenly the wife gets this nosebleed that gets kind of bad she then looks over at her husband um and says oh i think i'm and then of course his eyes begin to bleed and they are bleeding profusely all of the blood out of their faces runs down across the living room um pools and rivers its way 
towards something on the other side of the room. It's such a great scene. It's a yes. cool scene. Yes. It's a great way to start a movie. Um, all we know is that it scares them. And then we cut to three weeks earlier. Uh, Eugene is a young man living in a small, in the small Irish town of Six Mile Hill, uh, which is only claim to fame is that Bram Stoker stayed there once and <laughs> may have based Dracula on a local legend. Um, Eugene has no idea what to do with his life, really, and his father, who runs a construction business, is pushing him into joining him and, and really taking the reins. But he's kind of useless and just drinks all the time and just hangs out with his friends. His dad gets this big contract, which is going to be to put a byway in through, um, which is a freeway, in through the middle of this field, um, which happens to go through... This uh, local grave marker, which uh, is part of the vampire legend. In fact, it's kind of why tourists come here and it's kind of why the town has a heartbeat at all. So um, he's behind this really controversial thing where he's going to have to knock this thing down and get rid of the only reason why people might actually come to Six Mile Hill. Um, and uh, this is, of course, going to be a big problem with everyone who lives there. Um but, of course, that evening, um, he's got to get up early to get ready to help his dad put this byway thing in. And instead, he gets really, really drunk with one of his friends. They decide to uh, walk back through the field at night. And weird things happen where his friend basically trips, falls on this giant rock statue thing that's local legend that definitely will not have anything to do with releasing <laughs> horrors upon the place and he bleeds on it and that's kind of weird but then a bull comes out in the night and gores him against the thing crushing and killing him uh his blood everywhere uh getting happily sucked up by this pile of rocks <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, uh, Eugene, of course, the next day goes back to work and he's frustrated and fed up with his life and uh, goes ahead and just agrees to bulldoze down this grave marker because um, he's like, fuck it. And this lets loose a dormant creature, which then begins to prey upon uh, the small group working on getting this site ready for the, the freeway and then goes out into the town and begins to suck the blood out of all the residents. Eugene must then find a way to work with his dad and this kind of ragtag team of his uh, useless friends to survive the night and save the town. So there were things to like in this movie. The blood effect was pretty cool. I think they did a great job with it. And I'm sure they did a fair amount of CGI with it, which was really impressive for a low-budget, clearly a low-budget, uh, picture because they had like panning shots where the blood was moving in a steady stream on one side. And oh. I was like, wow, it's still where it should be. <laughs> it's tracking accurately. Good job, guys. Um, the vampire, I think, also looked really cool. He was just like kind of this dude covered in black. They they waited a long time to show him, which I think is really smart when you have low budget um, pictures. And then he he was pretty impressive and pretty freaky. There were some very funny moments and lines, um, but this movie is also kind of a mess. Um, tonally, it shifts a lot. It, it goes between horror and comedy in ways that don't always sit well together. Sometimes it feels like it really comes out of left field. Um, near the end, uh, we have Eugene working with his dad. They're kind of the last two um, pinned up against this vampire 
And his dad has fallen and broken his leg, fracturing it pretty horrifically. And for some reason, the answer to the vampire uh, coming at them is for the son to break off the rest of the leg and use the bone of it to stab the vampire. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you are literally surrounded by shards of wood (laughs) and rocks. This should not be a problem. This should not be, oh, this is the only solution. I've got to pull <laughs> off my father's leg. And it happened so quickly and it's so grotesque. I was like pretty horrified. And yeah. I think it was supposed to be really fucking funny. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> There's a lot of that kind of thing. Or like his friend getting gored by the bull over and over and over again. You're like, what the fuck is happening right now? Um, I'm also not sure that I always knew where it was going. It felt a little meandery. It felt like some scenes were overly long and some were too short. And there were a lot of characters and maybe just too much content trying to be fit into this film. So there was, I think it was impressive for the low budget that it had, but uh, I wasn't blown away by it. A little bit of trivia. This was grown from a short film by the same name that came out in 2013. It premiered at the 2020 Tribeca Film Festival. After a location scout on the film yesterday from 2019, uh, director Chris Bow wrote the screenplay in just five days after visiting Bram Stoker's actual grave in Golders Green, Barnet, London. Um, some believe that Bram Stoker... 1847 to 1912, thanks for the date of his life, guys, Uh, who was born and raised in Dublin, Ireland, was inspired to write Dracula based off of an Irish legend of a vampire known as Aberacht. Aberachtach? Stoker lived in Ireland around the same time as Patrick Weston Joyce, who uh, was sharing his tales of Aberachtach. It is Aberachtach, not Dracula, that is the vampire featured in this film. Uh, And yeah, that's my that's my movie. I think I felt exactly the same way you did yeah. when I watched it. I, I it almost felt like um, they ended up with a much bigger budget than they thought they would have, <laughs> sure. and, and they accidentally made a really good looking movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You almost feel like weird. Why is this working as well as it does for as sloppy as it is? <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, there's something in British Isle horror films that I really like. There's a, a feel to them, a style to them that I think is really neat. So I, I lean towards liking them sure. more than they probably deserve sometimes. <laughs> and this was one of them. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I, I remember enjoying it quite a bit, but I've never wanted to revisit it or, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of very funny lines in there. And I think that the characters do a great job of delivering it. I, I just spent a lot of time being like, why do I care about you? Like, I guess you're like the girlfriend of your friend who died and you're here a bunch. And I think you guys have a thing for each other, but I'm not sure. And I'll never know because <laughs> we don't have the time to explore that. <laughs> you know, uh, not too in, bad. A, in an odd way, I enjoy having the ticking. Oh, you like having yeah. the ticking <laughs> again? You couldn't hear, it, couldn't hear it on the... <laughs> it's it's called Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, it really go. is. Yes. We've, well, I... I Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Here's 10 more minutes of it, Eric. Oh, goody. The pain returns. <laughs> All righty. Well, we'll dive into this one. Uh, I'm talking about old Dracula. Roll the thunder. Let's hear the wolves. Turn on the bats. <laughs> 
Rack is back. Because all the foxy ladies taste better at night. It's snack time in the blood bank, kiddies. And the drinks are on the house. Do more blood, sir? Hey, we must have drunk three village girls already. David Niven is Dracula with flair and savoir-faire. Thank you, Count. Teresa Gray's TV's Christie Love is Vampira, his number one admirer. Chive turkey. Chive turkey? Oh, they are magnificent. Did you ever see prettier veins? Yes, indeed, sir. And on page 53, there's an outstanding jugular. Oh, goody. Oh, oh. <laughs> Neat, sir. Thank you, Travis. You know, that look of horror when they realize it's really me. <laughs> so exciting. They got trouble. Right here in River City. Get up. Get Party pooper. Back in Transylvania, they found a drink that's new. If someone wants to drink your health, they drink it out of you. They don't have the movies or corny stuff like that. When you want to have a ball, you change into a bat. Hey, big stuff, give me some more. If you love young Frankenstein, you'll adore old Dracula. Bye. Oh. Originally titled Vampira. Retitled for its U.S. release. This came out in 1974. You'll want to remember that as I continue on this film. (coughs) (laughs) The Rotten Tomatoes score zero, nothing from critics, 17 from the like 10 people that watched it. I don't think it's it's not currently streaming anywhere you can find. It's probably on YouTube because this was a Vinegar Syndrome release. Mm. Lower your expectations Mm -hmm. accordingly. (laughs) Lowered. (laughs) This is directed by uh, Clive Donner, who's done films... uh, the Guest, uh, Danger Man, Babes in Toyland, uh, George C. Scott's A Christmas Carol, which is a very good version of A Christmas Carol, mm. and a movie I remember deeply disappointing me when I was really young and watched it, The Nude Bomb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite bad. Was it yes. just a bomb? <laughs> no clothing it, on it? Clothes fly off of all the people, but they're hidden. They're all like masked by hedges and all this stuff. <laughs> no. And my... 10 or 11 year old self or whatever when I saw it, I was like well this is disappointing <laughs> get, get smart movie yeah yeah uh, written by Jeremy Lloyd who uh, wrote 69 episodes of Are You Being Served plus many of the follow up movies based on the series uh, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In and three of the Pink Panther movies huh. uh, starring David Niven Murder by Death Around the World in 80 Days the 1967 Casino Royale mm-hmm. Pretty solid actor. Uh, Teresa Graves, who is in Rowan and Martin Laughing, 26 episodes. Uh, the Man Bolt. I don't know that is. Uh, and Peter Bayliss from Russia with Love, uh, the Merlin uh, sci-fi series. Oh, yeah. And Don't Get Me Started. <laughs> and Linda Hayden, who is in The Boys from B- Brazil, The Blood on Satan's Claw, which is talked about here on the show, and Taste the Blood of Dracula, which I believe is the poster you used to have in your... No. Oh, no, that was the... Dracula has risen yes. from the grave. So, you know, typical 70s credits, nothing going on. Goes on for two and a half minutes. Nah. 
Uh, so we've got a dark, creepy candle lit house. So the butler's saying he's fixed the lights. So Dracula's sitting there in the dark, looking very moody and twisty. And then the guy just turns on the lights and it's like, blam! Ah, modern times. So Dracula's currently reading a Playboy magazine, looking for pictures of necks and veins. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Dracula's old. He's old enough that he long, no longer hunts, so he has be, people brought to his castle. He's opened it up for, like, touristy kind of things or things along those lines. Incredible. And a Playboy pictorial is going to use this castle to shoot the most biteable playmates. Huh. This is a PG-rated film. And he hopes one of the women will have the right blood type to bring back his lost love, Vampira. Of who's course. been hmm. in... Uh, entombed for 50 years and he wants to bring her back <laughs> during the on the show he's got a buddy who's kind of a renfield character who plays dracula for the tourists normally but not this night this night's too too important so dracula himself will be overseeing the meal and the festivities and all the things going on uh the there's a strange series of I don't know. It just, there's weird shit going on in this movie while they're trying to do the setups with, uh, it's just Dracula needs to destroy vampire by draining too much blood. He doesn't, you know, if he, once he has a victim, if he drinks too long, then they're automatically a vampire. I mean, immediately. Mm. Oh. And so he's got to deal with her for some reason. He brings her up and has her help with the dinner <laughs> with a sure. vampire who's brand new. He's afraid it's going to bite her when he realizes he can't trust her uh he has the renfield character uh, shoot her with a crossbow in a very kind of interesting scene they set her up in a coffin leaning against the wall mm -hmm. and then dracula looks at this like a uh, negative not quite a darker than a negative picture mm -hmm. of the coffin with a little heart drawn in the body oh my god <laughs> and the crossbow has a light and as the light hits the heart he goes shoot oh my god <laughs> he shoots the, it's like what was the purpose of that. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> it was very strange. It looked kind of neat and it was kind of interesting, but I'm thinking, you know, picking up a steak and sticking her would have been a, a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to use this high tech. That's right. Well, he drugs all of the attendees at the dinner that evening and um, sends people in to draw blood out from them, not vampirically, but medically, so they can test the blood to see who's the right person. And one of them is. Who am I? So, they just begin with the infusion of uh, blood into his bride. And as the infusion's going on, 1974, the lady laying in the coffin, skin starts to darken extensively. Oh. And through uh, basically a fade, it's now, she's a black woman. Oh. Whoa. But she is actually a black woman. Sure, She's not yeah. the white person done in blackface. Thank so the fuck. They actually change the performer. So she gets up and loves it. She's like, I look great. Or I feel like I look great. I can't see in a mirror. Do I look great? <laughs> and David Niven isn't quite as thrilled. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they, they do a very good job of this movie of skating along the racist theme. Hmm. Um, but you know, it's just sort of permeates everything <laughs> going on just a little bit. Um, so they decide they got to take a plane to London to find 
whoever the original person was and do some kind of fixed transfusion. I'm not entirely certain what their plan is. They're trying to get her to be the white lady again? Yes. She doesn't want to be. She's having a lot of fun. She yeah. goes see like uh, a Jim Brown black exploitation movie <laughs> and comes out speaking with that kind of vernacular and stuff, yes. calling him jive turkey and things along those lines. Yes. So she's great. She's yeah. actually uh, probably the best part of the movie because yeah. even Niven seems a little uncomfortable in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, he's such a goofy guy sometimes that yeah. it is, it's very, he feels very restrained. Mm. And this film's very odd. The, on the flight over, they sit next to a guy whose whole thing is, I just came from Sweden where I got my whole bloody blood transfusion. It's like, wow, <laughs> those, those legends never die, do they? So she is very excited sitting next to him. And it's odd. It's always interesting to watch a, pl- a plane in a 70s movie. The attendant comes up and she's like, would you like a drink? Cigarette? <laughs> wow. But she bites the blood transfusion guy and kills him <laughs> on the plane. Um, basically, the mess of the movie is them trying to figure that out. And I'm thinking as I'm watching this mm-hmm. that they, since they changed her into a completely different performer, that in the end, because the end, I'm going to spoil the movie. So just you're fine not knowing the end. The end is he turns black too. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And actually. they go off to Brazil. To live their life. Oh. But they don't change the actor. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so the end is they're not showing David Niven as they're f- driving to the airport, escaping, I think, some people that know who they are or something like that. Oh, my God. And I'm, go- and I'm still thinking, that, I, mean, I mean, well, they mentioned Jim Brown. It'd be a lot of fun if they brought Jim Brown in to play his character, something like that. No, he turns around like, oh, God. No. And it's so bad looking. <laughs> it's bright and shiny. And it's just like. Oh my God! It looks terrible. No, he God doesn't look like a Hollywood actor version of doing changing someone's skin by makeup. So horrible! And I'm like, oh Jesus, guys. <laughs> well, this movie's not going to get a lot of traction out there. And in the in the end, the movie overall is it's fine. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's the worst Vinegar Syndrome's put out, but that ending was like, oh. Didn't you say it was like a 70%? Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. <laughs> All right. There's the a reason. Tag, the tagline, though. Oh, and the reason they changed it. Maybe you can figure out the reason they changed the title from Vampira to Old Dracula. If you liked Young Frankenstein, oh, you'll love God. Old Dracula. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's exactly why they changed it. Terrible. Young Frankenstein had just come out and been a huge hit. Let's see. Anything else worth talking about here? <laughs> mm, not really. <laughs> Old Dracula. And the difference, I mean, race, racism-wise, the difference can be told because I read a few of the old, at the time, reviews. There's no, no mention of, of that course happening. Not. It was a different time. <laughs> yeah, it really was, but he looked terrible. It's like, oh. That's just such a, that's so close to being awesome. And then woof. (laughs) It would have been so cool if it had been Jim Brown or uh, Black Belt Jones or somebody like that. Jim Kelly. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Oh. And Jim Kelly would be great body type too. He's also tall and really thin. Right. Like that's, that feels like the right answer to Mm -hmm. the film, but like such the 
total wrong decision of how to do it. <laughs> like, oh, he also turns into a, a black character and that's great and they can live their best lives and oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you put some shoe polish on a man. That's, that is exactly what it looked like. Well, I'm putting that one on the list. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> All right. So we're still in the middle of Fangruary, right? We're, we're going to keep going with vampires at least one more one, time. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. <sighs> okay. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, so instead of uh, trying to figure out what we'll be doing next time, this is the part where I say thank you to everybody who's out there liking and sharing posts, who's on the Strange Eons Radio Talk page. Uh Who's making comments on the YouTube stuff? Even the guy who said, I really hate that you guys have uh, a topic that's the same through every time. Okay. Well, you know, sometimes we do too, but then we've made our bed and we're lying in it, damn it. That's what we do. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you're going to get me saying snow or fog and you all have to watch a fog movie and it goes swimmingly and everyone's so happy and sometimes kelly's gonna say a month of ninjas and we're gonna have a month of ninjas so you know you just we're like a box of chocolates <laughs> yeah also i didn't recognize that person's name so yeah, i'm not sure it's, it's a, a russian YouTube. bot it was a youtube it's a russian bot name i think i don't think trying it was to make a, us mad at uh, each other uh, well I'd, I'll, all I'll say is, uh, if you really don't like it, get on the Strange Eons Radio Talk page and yeah. discuss it with yeah, other like-minded listeners. Just be like, maybe hey. Maybe we'll uh, tell you to fuck off in person. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see your name. <laughs> or maybe by the end of this, we could get, get, you know, he's kind of got a point. <laughs> Damn it. He does actually have a point. If you'd like to expand your comment, you can call <laughs> us on the Strange Eons Radio Talk or uh, hotline, which is 253 237 Four two six six, and big thanks to anyone who's uh, throwing donations our way in the monthly oh, donations yes. or Thank the. You. I wanted to give a thanks pizzas. on that to uh, Kevin Bird for buying us some pizza. Oh, Kevin! Thank thank you. Thanks, man. That's awesome. Uh, I see him all the time on the Facebook page, so yes. that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love, and I love seeing new names pop up on those too. I'm yeah. just like, oh my gosh, who are you? Right. <laughs> that's awesome. Very cool. So, yeah, thanks to everybody who's doing that. And, of course, the uh, the typical thing, the value for value, which is uh, just somebody who throws money our way because they got a little bit of value out of the show. And they said, I'm going to turn that into a, a number of some kind and give it back. <laughs> we really appreciate Thank that. You. So, okay, that's the show. We're going to be back in seven short days. We're going to be talking vampires. Transportation and other considerations for Strange Eons Radio produced by Pan Am Airlines. When you think of traveling, think of Pan Am. You can't beat the experience. Guests of Strange Eons Radio stay at Econo Lodge Everett. It's an easy stop on the road, you know what we mean. Strange Eons Radio is recorded live in front of a studio audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Sit, Ubu, sit. Ugh, human beings are like warm and fuzzy and have physical form. <laughs>